The studies show that successful people are very good at making quick decisions without having all the information. So knowing that to be true for my prospect to be successful, I want to be able to help them make that decision quickly on the call and therefore be doing habits and patterns of what other successful people are doing. So I'm fighting for their success, not the sell. And yes, I will get more sales when I fight for their success, but I'm focusing on objection handling, going the distance, staying on the phone is about their success, not about me just making money. Welcome to The Takeover with Tim and Cindy, where we show you how to dominate every area of life and business. Let's get with you. Welcome back to The Takeover with Tim and Cindy. In today's episode, we are going to walk through five sales truths to never get rejected on a sales call again. If you run a sales team, if you are an entrepreneur, maybe you're a salesperson. These five sales truths are going to be fundamental and are going to serve as a game changer to not only accelerate your sales, but accelerate your revenue as a result. Sales is the lifeblood of any business. So lock into these five sales truths as we dissect each and every one of them in this episode. Tim, what is sales truth number one? So as we go into these sales truths, I just want to make sure a lot of the things I'm going to say from the exterior might sound like, oh, I've heard that before. What's really important is that you don't just check out when you hear something that sounds similar to what you've heard before, because I promise you what works really freaking well on the surface without you having an open ear may sound similar to common sales philosophies that have been taught and kind of worn out over the, you know, the last decades or whatever. So truth number one is that great salespeople ask great questions. I'm going to ask you a great question. What is more powerful and holds more weight to you, Cindy, if I make statements and tell you things, hey, Cindy, this is a really good fit for you. It's a really good program for you. Or if you tell me, Tim, I think this is a good program for me. Hey, Tim, I really like your program. What holds more weight for the prospect when I make a statement to you or when you make a statement to me? If I'm the prospect, it holds more weight if I make the statement. Correct. And so the things that we say and believe hold way more weight than what a (laughs) salesperson says to us. So great questions are designed to get prospects to make statements to you about the problem, about how long the problem's been going on, about the implications if they don't fix their problem, as well as the statements about what they like about your product and your program. So great questions are all designed to get the prospects to make statements to you versus you making statements. Sometimes people think that it's just the gift of gab, somebody who can really talk somebody into something. No, I don't want to talk somebody into something. Some something. I want to be able to ask questions that get the prospect to talk themselves into what we have. Mm, So good. So good. So with this first sales truth, the focus is on how can you ask great questions on a call that make the prospect come to certain conclusions versus you telling them. So it's actually about listening more and speaking less. Yes. And great questions. I love that you said that because a lot of times great questions are really, really simple. They're not these big, fancy questions. It could literally just be, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Is that what kind of impact is that having on you, Cindy? Huh. Interesting. 
You know, you see very, very simple because you're putting a lot of it on them. But, you, you know, you just have to make sure you are listening and that you're asking the right questions. I would just say mostly just about being really curious. Love that. So let's go into sales truth number two. Truth number two is that if there's no problem, there's no sell. Mm. A lot of times we want to show people how cool our thing is, and they might even think our thing's cool, and they get to the end of the sales call and they go, wow, I love your thing. It's awesome. And you go, well, here's how much it costs for the thing. Great. Awesome. (laughs) Send me a proposal. And they don't sign up because, yes, they thought your thing was cool, but they didn't make the connection to see your thing as the absolute solution to fix your problem. So the number one goal on a sales call, if I'm doing questions and discovery, is I want to figure out the full extent of the problem that I'm going to be helping this person solve. I want to figure out the impact this problem is having on their lives. And then when I go to pitch my service, I position my service not as the coolest thing. I position my pitch and my offer as the clear solution and easiest path to solve that prospect's problem. And if I use truth number one, which is ask questions to get them to make statements, I'm going to be having them tell me why this is the best solution to fix their problem throughout the pitch. Yeah. I think the default for a lot of people is to go into a sales call wanting to just pitch, wanting to show how great their product or service is. And with this sales truth that if there's no problem, there's no sale, people don't buy because something's like nice to have. They buy it because they need to have it to solve a problem. And if we haven't done the right steps or asked the right questions to uncover what the problem is for the prospect, why they are even on this call, and even better to link that problem to our solution, we're not going to have a sale. So always remember, ladies and gents, no problem, no sale. Tim, what is sales truth number three? Truth number three is fight for their success, not the sell. And then this becomes more of a mindset position where if you truly believe that your product, your service will help this person solve that problem, then it is your ethical duty to see that you being willing to go the distance on the call is for their good. Mm -hmm. And when I'm focused on for their good, aka fighting for their success, then I am not getting rejected if they're being resistant. What I'm doing is I'm fighting for their success and even if they have mental blocks, they have limiting beliefs, they're scared, they're afraid, all of that, they're not rejecting me. Mm-hmm. They didn't get on this call because they don't want their problem solved. Mm-hmm. So the way that I'm looking at this is I'm fighting for their success. And yes, they're going to say no. And they're going to be scared. And they're going to say, I want to think about it. Because guess what? If they've had this problem for two years and they've hired other companies to solve this problem, they didn't fulfill on the promise. Guess what? They're going to think, what if this happens again? What if I get burned again? What if I get ripped off again? So yes, of course that person's going to be scared. Of course they're going to be gun shy. If a dog's been beaten for the last two years, of course it's going to bark at you. So you have to be willing to fight for their success and not to sell. And I promise you, when you're able to, from a moral, ethical standpoint, mentally see yourself as fighting for their success and realizing they're probably going to say no. They're probably going to be afraid. They're probably going to want to think about it. They're probably going to want to delay taking action. Mm. But fighting for their success, I know that the data shows 
that the more delay somebody puts into making a decision, the less likely they will be to solve that problem and be successful. Mm -hmm. The studies show that successful people are very good at making quick decisions without having all the information. So knowing that to be true for my prospect to be successful, I want to be able to help them make that decision quickly on the call and therefore be doing habits and patterns of what other successful people are doing. So I'm fighting for their success, not the sell. And yes, I will get more sales when I fight for their success, but I'm focusing on objection handling, going the distance, staying on the phone is about their success, not about me just making money. I love that. Can you also mention, I think part of this too is why it's not the best option and why you actually shouldn't let a prospect off the call without making a decision. Because we've heard it so many times. We work personally with coaches, consultants, online service providers, marketing agencies. And we hear it all the time where somebody will get on a call, have an amazing call with the prospect and then let them off the call and send them a proposal. If we are really focusing on the sales truths, why is this not a good way to go? Hey there, friend. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, make sure that you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Subscribe and follow The Takeover with Tim and Cindy wherever you are listening. New episodes are released every week. So what you're doing... And and studies have shown that the best time to make a decision is when you have the most amount of information and resources in front of you. And when you are on the phone with somebody who has the source of those information and resources, you can have every single question answered. So good decision-making actually happens when you have the right resources in front of you, which is on the call. The second part is going to be that if you send a proposal to somebody, let's just walk through this way. This person has a problem for two years they can't solve. They've tried it themselves. They've hired other people. They've not been able to solve this problem. Whatever decision-making, whatever processes, whatever way they've thought through trying to fix this problem, it has not worked. Mm-hmm. Their way of thinking about the solution to this problem has failed. Yeah, And so... If they go, I want to think about it, a.k.a. go back to my old decision-making process to solve this old problem I've not been able to solve, you are now letting them take control to solve a problem and you're leaving the cell up to them to make the right decision on something, on a problem they have not been able to make the right decision on for the past two years. Mm. So the reason why it is failing them is that you are allowing this person that you know you can help go try to solve the problem they haven't been able to solve by themselves mm-hmm. versus helping them fighting for their success, fighting for their success mm-hmm. and helping them look at this old problem through a new lens. And that's what great objection handling is. It is asking questions. It's holding them accountable to the, the things they said they wanted on the call. Mm-hmm. And it's asking questions and giving them new perspectives on the way to look at this. Great objection handling is not about having one quick one-liner that gets them to say, oh, wow, you're, you're exactly right. It's introducing new information, new ways to look at this problem that then make them go, you're right. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd, I'd never thought about it that way before, right? Oh, so- good. Great objection handling is you're using questions and you're using statements that get them to look at this old problem from a new lens. Because until they start looking at the old problem from a new vantage point, they're going to keep making decisions the old way and keep getting what kind of results? The same old results. Yeah. Yeah. So good. What is sales truth number four? Number four is be the boss, not the buddy. I see this mistake happen a lot of times too, is people are trying to be friendly 
They're trying to be the buddy, but we don't go to the buddy to get our big problems solved. Mm, mm-hmm. We go to experts. Yes. I want so an good. expert. I don't even have to be friends with, with the guy or girl. Mm-hmm. I just need to know that they have leadership and they have the ability to solve this problem. Yes. Too often, people think if I can just make friends with this person, then I'm going to get the sell. And the fact is, is you don't have to be friends. If I'm on a sales call, number one thing that I want to do is I want to establish the fact that I am an expert at what I do, mm-hmm. that I am the leader in this conversation. Remember, they've had this problem for two years and they haven't been able to solve it. They haven't been able to lead themselves to the result, then I need to be able to lead them to the result. Mm -hmm. And a buddy doesn't lead, a buddy just kind of hangs out. Yeah. Right. So, but a boss can lead. A boss can say, hey, you've had that problem two years. Yep. I see this all the time. Very common. We've worked with 700 clients and fixed this. We want to position ourselves, and this is going to be done through tonality. Mm-hmm. So we think of tonality when I'm talking. If, if I'm going, hey, how are you doing today? Like if I'm doing, like it almost sounds like a question, everything I say, well, how's your day going? Oh, hey, what's your name? Like if I'm doing almost like a question mark at the end of every question I or statement or a question I have, it shows uncertainty because I'm I'm like asking a question, right? And so it makes me feel uncertain. It makes me feel like I'm seeking their approval or I'm just trying to be their buddy. Whereas tonality downward, if I go, hey, it's nice to meet you. Where are you calling in from? You see where I'm going down? Because my tonality is going down, it shows my certainty mm-hmm. versus up, which is like a question. It shows I'm uncertain. I'm seeking their approval. So tonality, as well as I think it's really powerful, is to be comfortable with silence. What happens when you're listening to somebody and there's a little bit of a silence and you're kind of like, what are they going to say next? Yes. What do you do with you lean, you lean in? in. Mm-hmm. You lean in. What happens when somebody's talking, 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 talking? You say one thing and they respond back quick. It's like you're kind of like, okay, dude back off. So tonality and then being able to have, be comfortable with silence, especially when you ask a really good question and you want them to kind of think about it. Or if they ask you a question and you go, Hmm, what are you doing right now? You're kind of wondering, what am I thinking? What am I going to say? So we want to use pausing. We want to use active listening and thinking to just be comfortable with that gap. And guess what? If I'm a boss, I don't need to fill all the space. Yeah, that's so good. Right? I'm confident. Uh, And so, and the third part would be like if you're on a Zoom call or in person is body language that's more comfortable, uh, more relaxed, less leaning in. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, so I just want to be comfortable. I say it like this. If you watch any of like a movie where there's like that mob boss Mm -hmm. and everybody like he's, he doesn't say much, he doesn't do much, but everybody around him is like knows he's the boss Mm -hmm. or she's the boss. And he's almost like, his body language, his tonality, everything he says, people lean into him. And so an easy way to do this and exercise for anybody listening is think about a character from a movie or it could be an athlete or it could be just somebody that you know in your life or anybody that has that kind of ability to be the leader and have people magnetized towards them, very calm, Mm -hmm. confident, and certain. And then you can like literally just show up. It's a kind of a little trick to speed up your ability to do this is imagine yourself as that person, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, you know, Dwayne Johnson or it's like Batman or <laughs> they actually yeah. did, a, they did a research with a bunch of little kids where they said, hey, solve this problem. And they sent them into this room to solve the problem. And the other group of kids, they said, hey, you act like you're Batman 
and Wonder Woman. And then the kids that that were told you're Batman and Wonder Woman did a much better job at solving the problem because they they asked one of the kids, oh, well, hey, you seem so calm where you're solving that problem and you did such a good job solving it. Well, what were you thinking? He's like, well, Batman never stresses out, mm-hmm. right? And so just... You can also do that. It's called an alter ego. It allows you to kind of step into that leadership role a yeah, lot more. So good. I think those keys are so powerful, especially if you are naturally not the type of person that shows up maybe as the quote unquote leader and you are used to being very friendly. People gravitate towards you because you are friendly and you have that rapport naturally with people. Don't assume that that rapport is going to translate into sales. Correct. That rapport is going to translate into making friends and, you know, as to mention the buddies, but we're here to be the boss because the boss is going to lead the person to solving the problem and that's going to get you more sales versus yes. rejections. Yes, 100%. What is sales truth number five? Number five is you have to differentiate from former attempts they've had and considerations that they're looking into. What I mean by that is Let's say you have a social media marketing company and they've tried social media before it didn't work. I want to probe into that experience. What happened there? What did you like? What did you not like? Why do you think it failed? What were you promised? What actually happened? I want to get a feel and an understanding for what happened there. Because when I go pitch, if I sound like that last thing sounded like, what they were promised in the last thing, what do you think they're going to think when I go pitch my thing? They're going to think it's exactly the same and you're going to get rejected. Sounds like what I tried before, no thank you. Mm -hmm. However, if I know what they tried, what was promised versus like what actually happened, like I know all these details, now I can say, hey, you know how you how that person said you've got to do X amount of posts in this period, time period. Yeah. That's the reason why this didn't work for you. Mm. And they're like, Oh, you're, you're almost explaining why it didn't work. And now you're going, so here, what we do is we do our strategy like this. Mm-hmm. That's how so, it's different. So that you get an outcome. So now we're differentiating from what they had tried before. So good. Now what I would call consideration. So attempts is what they've tried in the past and considerations are the other things they're considering. Right. I might also contrast, maybe say they're looking at a paid ads and I do organic, right? Something like that. And, and I might say, hey, the nice thing about this is when you're doing organic is you don't have to spend money on ads. So when you go to scale this thing, your profit margins are, are a lot better versus with ads, your cost is going to be about four or five times as much to acquire a client, something along these lines. So now I'm showing them the benefit of what I do versus what they've tried before and what they're considering so that I want to, at the same time of making my offer look like the solution to their problem, I also want to subtly, by using contrast, show that the other solutions out there are not going to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So that's the big thing is I want to make sure I'm differentiated from other attempts and considerations. Yeah. So considerations can be boiled down to other things that they're looking at to solve the problem. Yep. So if I know other avenues, other services, other products that my prospect is looking at to solve their problem, I can show how my product or service differentiates from that and how those attempt or how those other services probably won't solve their issue. Yeah. So if you can differentiate from their attempts 
in the past and their current considerations, the other solutions that are, they're considering right now, if you can differentiate in a way that it's like a light bulb where they go, oh, I see how this will solve my problem better than the things I tried before and is superior to the th- other things I'm considering, you will get to sell. So good. So these were the five sales truths to never get rejected on a sales call again. We hope that through these five truths, you not only were enlightened to potentially some areas in your sales calls or sales process that you are missing out on a lot of opportunities. We also hope that as you are moving into more sales calls and as you're moving through your sales processes, that these sales truths will allow you to sell more and close more. This is Takeover with Tim and Cindy. Now, if you're listening on audio, then make sure to follow the show wherever you're listening. If you got a lot of value from this and you thought it was awesome, make sure to give it that five-star rating. Make sure to go in there and give a rating. If you thought this was horrible and the worst show you've ever heard, then I don't know what you're doing listening. Definitely don't rate it. Or at least let us know how we can make it better for you. Again, this is Tim and Cindy with The Takeover. Stay winning.